the 14th chapter of the book of Zechariah, and we're going to be dealing tonight with that ninth verse. Now, just keep in mind, all of this is connected. There, uh, divisions have been put in here, chapter divisions have been put in here, verse divisions have been put in here, but as we go through this 14th chapter, as we did most of Zechariah, verse by verse, we notice in here that the Lord says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. So we'd like to look at that verse tonight and kind of look at it in two aspects. The first part is the Lord shall be king over. And that that word shall is, is uh, something that has to do with all the time, you know. Uh, in, uh, in the days of Abel, the Lord shall be king. In the days of Noah, the Lord shall be king. And in the days of Moses, the Lord shall be king. And we're going to find that this was written about throughout the Old Testament. Uh, I almost made a comment here, like Dr. Hawker, Robert Hawker, who wrote that wonderful commentary. This is just so uh, obvious, there's no need for comments. But there are a number of verses that I'd like to bring in with regards to this. And if you'd start with me, when we look at the Lord as the King, the Lord is the King, would you start with me in the book of John chapter 19? John chapter 19, the Lord shares a great deal about this. Now we're going to find out that the Lord is the absolute ruler and controller of this earth as it is a physical place, but much greater for our benefit is He the King over a spiritual. He's a King over the spiritual. As He brings out here in the book of John chapter 18, verse 36. John chapter 18 and verse 36, we have this. It says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. What a statement he is making here with regard to his kingdom. It is not of this world, and therefore when he saves his people, they're not of this world. It's a spiritual relationship that God has established in the new birth that we don't get from this world. Even as he shared with Nicodemus, it must be from above. This, this birth must be from above. This relationship must be from a spiritual realm, and is not given to us on a physical realm, an uh, earthly realm. In fact, that's where religion and, and the uh, message of the, of the gospel differentiates the the world the religions of the world have everything coming from this earth we can talk people into it we can do it we can accomplish it and yet we find out that the scriptures are so plain that the lord's kingdom is not of this world spiritual things are not of this world we don't gain it from this world it all has to come from god and then he goes on to tell us there in verse 37 and Pilate therefore said unto him art thou the king Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, and to this end was I born, and for that cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. What a wonderful statement that even in this great time of trial for our Savior, as he's talking to or being questioned by Pilate and answers him with spiritual uh, results, uh, it didn't, didn't hit Pilate, but it certainly does hit us, that 
Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice, and they hear that he is the king over his kingdom. Now, let us go to the Old Testament for two or three or four verses here that share with us the same truth about him being the king. He's the Lord. The Lord is the king over all things. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that in every age is that is the true statement. Well, here in the book of Exodus chapter 15, we find just after the Lord takes care of all the Egyptian army and Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He's accomplished a wonderful purpose here to, to show us that not only does he take care of us physically, but spiritually he's going to take care of every enemy of the church just like this. He's the one that does it. He's the one that accomplishes it. He's the one that puts the enemies aside. He defeats the enemies on the behalf of the church. And here in the book of Exodus chapter 15, as Moses is as elated and singing about this great defeat of Egypt, he shares with us in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 8, verse 8 these words. Verse 18, excuse me. Verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now, Moses saw his reign and what he did as the Lord, as the king. He watched it in Egypt. He watched it as he came across uh, out of Egypt and up to the Red Sea. And the Lord told Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So the Lord is the actual king over all things. He was a king over that water. He was able to hold it up. Nobody helped him. He was the king over the dirt. They walked across on dry land. He was the king over the Egyptian pharaoh. He put in his heart to follow the children of Israel. He was the king over those uh, chariots and all the other men. And when it was a proper time, he caused those chariots to drag heavily. They held up and stopped the armies as they came in. And then he was the king over the water and released it. And he was the king over Moses as he sang about this great victory. And we see that throughout the scriptures, that this is the one who is the king over all things. He's the victor in all things. He's the victor at the cross. He is the king. In the book of First Chronicles, we find David saying these words, First Chronicles, there in chapter 29, First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, David shares this. He understood this. You know, there is a truth about this. When the Lord reveals himself to us, we recognize the fact that he is the Lord. He is the king. The, the words out of Saul of Tarsus' mouth mean so much. Lord, what will you have me to do? Now, he had never looked at this one, the Lord Jesus, as the Lord. He had looked at uh, Old Testament uh, thoughts about God as Lord, but he'd never been confronted with this one, the Lord Jesus. And he said, Who art thou? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Well, he knew a lot about Jesus. But he had never known him as Lord. What a glorious thing takes place when God reveals his Son to us in, in salvation. Well, here in the book of First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, there in verses 11 and 12, it says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in the earth are thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. The church 
exalts him as head above all, and so does the Father, and so does the Son, and so does the Holy Spirit. We do it as a result of what God has done in us. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and when he does the revelation of Jesus Christ to every one of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, there is a consciousness in them that he is Lord. Now, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of anything. So here we find that David is so uh, braggadocious about the Lord. He's exalting the Lord, declaring the Lord. And verse 12, both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in, thy, uh, in thine hand is, it is to make great and to give strength unto all. What a statement, David, here, as by revelation he realizes these great truths. Now we find that the Lord is the Lord. He's the blessed and only potentate. Here in the book of First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, he's the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. What a statement Paul writes to Timothy. And what courage those words, what courage that very promise that the Lord has made to the church, that he is the king, that he is the ruler over all. Uh, if you haven't seen the scenes of that flood down there where Brother John is in rescue, um, try to get a hold of it. Nancy will show the folks at church because she's got it on her phone. But you know who was in charge of that river that overflowed? The Lord is the Lord of all things. He's the Lord over that creek. And most of the year it's just a trickle down through there. And yet... At this time, it was a tremendous, rushing, mighty torrent and came into the fellowship hall there and ruined the rug. He's the Lord over it, though. He is the Lord over those things. In the book of Revelation, I'd like to look at two passages of Scripture because in this book of Revelation, we continuously find the Lord is over all. Every time there is an issue that comes up, we find the Lord is the victor. We love the accounts of the Lord being victor over all. He's a victor over sin. He's a victor over death. He's the victor over hell and the grave. And here in the book of Revelation chapter 17, Revelation chapter 17, there in verse 14, this whole book is filled with incidents like this. The Lord is the Lord. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He has that great place of being in all things having the preeminence he is lord of lords and king of kings and here in the book of revelation chapter 17 and verse 14 these shall make war with the lamb Uh uh-oh what's going to happen when these we read previous to this we'd find out these shall make war with the lamb well they it's been an ongoing war since the very beginning but look at this And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And then saith he unto them, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and he shall overcome them. The gospel is going to overcome all error, for those that he has written in the Lamb's book of life. He will lose none of them. They will not stay put in that nonsense. They will not stay put in that religion. They will be brought out. 
And then in the book of Revelation chapter 19, two more chapters here in the book of Revelation, and there are many times in the book of Revelation this type of uh, passage is found that shares with us the greatness of the Lord and the power of the Lord. And it's wonderful that Zechariah had a grasp of this and he was led by the Holy Spirit uh, to write about this when he said, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Nothing is outside of his realm. He is an absolute monarch over all things. And here in the book of Revelation, it tells us about the uh, this uh, wonderful Lord, verse 15, and out of his mouth, out of the Lord's mouth, goeth a sharp two-edged sword. If you've ever been saved, you've been touched by that sword. That's the word of God. God has used his word. Out of the mouth of the Lord goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh the name written, notice that, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, one of my favorite places in the Old Testament is what Nebuchadnezzar had to say about the Lord. There in Daniel chapter 4, what Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was put out to pasture. We've mentioned this many times, but I just continuously go back there because Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 shares with us a great deal about this God that Zechariah has been writing about. You know, it's interesting to find out in the Old Testament that some 235 times the Lord is called the Lord of hosts. And here in this book of Daniel chapter 4, we have a, 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 a definition of what it is to be Lord of hosts. The hosts of the armies, the armies of heaven, the inhabitants of the earth. So if you'd turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 4. This is the one that Zechariah is writing about and encouraging the saints in his day. And every time this passage of scripture was read down through the ages, even tonight as we read it, what great encouragement he gives to us as he declares that he is Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here in the book of Daniel chapter 4, we have this, uh, uh, this Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, put out to pasture by the Lord for his arrogancy. How easy that was, you know, to, to almost make him insane, to put him out to pasture, let his hair grow long, his fingernails grow long, out there for seven years. Now, I've read some commentaries that said that this didn't actually happen, it was just a euphemism, or, I, you know, I'm going to believe what the Lord said. It happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what he had to say when the Lord brought him out of that stupor, brought him out of that insanity if you please he makes the most sane statement that he could ever make at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar verse 34 of daniel chapter 4 verse 34 it says i nebuchadnezzar lifted up my eyes into heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and i blessed the most high and i praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth, from the very beginning, this very moment in time, yesterday, the day before, last year, ten years ago, ten years in the future, if it should happen, if we get there, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth his will. 
He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? What a statement we read here in the book of Daniel. And this is just a way of saying what Zechariah said in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. The second part of our message tonight is the second part of that verse of scripture. It tells us, going back to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, there in verse 14, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, there we go. The Lord shall reign, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Whether you are in the days of, of Adam and Eve, in the days of Abel, in the, day, in the days of Cain, in the days of Noah, in the days, whatever day, he shall reign, and he is reigning. He is the sovereign reigning ruler over all things. He's the ruler over every snowflake, the, over every drop of rain, over every bug, over... Well, we just we can't explain enough. Well, here it goes on to say, In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. There shall be one Lord. Now, we find in the New Testament that this subject is brought up in the book of Ephesians. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. What wonderful words are found in the first chapter. And they give us reason to rejoice in the second chapter. And they give us reasons to rejoice in the third, and now the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, where in Ephesians chapter 4, we read these words about the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. I've read in some commentaries recently about uh, the Lord is going to take all of, the, all of the religions of the world and he's going to put them together and make one. And I thought, you know, the man does not know what he's talking about. The Lord doesn't take error and mix it with the truth and say, this is my people. It tells us here, there is one body. That's the body of Christ. And one spirit. And this spirit doesn't share different things with different people. This spirit shares the same gospel truths. Has shared the same gospel truths from the very beginning. He will not change. He is God. God changes not. The gospel changes not. And the reason for that is man does not change. Well, there's one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now we have a typical picture of that, and that's when we immerse somebody. But the true baptism is the baptism that the Spirit gives us into Christ Jesus the Lord. And one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then we also find in the book of Colossians, just jump ahead just a little bit to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, it, this just sums it all up. Colossians chapter 3. What a statement is made here. It tells us in this verse of scripture that Christ is all. Let's read verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor 
nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He's the one that makes the difference. He's the one that makes the difference. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he's the one that makes the difference. Christ is all. There is one Lord. There's one God. There's one Spirit. There's one. And he doesn't have universal messages. He has one message, and that is summed up in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit directed through inspiration of the of himself, of the scriptures. He directed the Old Testament writers, and many of these writers were to share names of the promised seed of the woman. And we find it throughout the Old Testament as, as well as in the New Testament, many different names for the Lord. But his name shall be one. In this one, there is but one Lord, and his name is one. Now, there all of the names point to one person. Now, I, I remember uh, seeing a TV program where in the middle of this camp was a signpost. And on that signpost was lots of arrows pointing out. One of them was to Tokyo, and one was to New York, and one was to Pittsburgh, and one was here and there and there and there. And maybe you've seen that type of thing that it tells about how the direction that that city is and how far away it is. Well, that's not what the gospel writers of the Old and New Testament did. They're standing out here in their day and in their time, and every one of them is pointing inward. Everyone is pointing, their message is pointed to this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not many Christs. Now, there are false Christs, but there's only one Christ, there's only one Son, there's only one Lord, there's only one God. And here we have the Spirit directed by inspiration of the Scriptures, many of the writers, to share many names of this promised seed of the woman. We have revealed to us that there is only one. All of these names reflect on only one. You have no doubt we have no doubt that as these writers wrote, they're speaking of the very same person. You know, we have this summed up by John the Baptist in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. All of the writers are pointing towards this one. From the very beginning, in Genesis, we have... Moses wrote by inspiration. In fact, the Lord brings it out in the New Testament. Moses wrote of me. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. They're all pointing to one person. Every name of God is pointing to one person. This one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of John, John the Baptist brings this up. In John chapter 1, verse twenty. 9. John chapter 1 verse 29, he brings this very thing up when he tells his disciples. Now he's not pointing to some far off place. He is the last of the prophets. That's what we read. The prophets were until John. And right here he says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
He is like a marker pointing to this one that takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 36 of that same chapter, he says, Looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. What a statement is made here. Zechariah was privy to this wonderful truth about the Lord Jesus being the only Lord, and his name is one. All of those names given throughout the Old Testament pointed to one, and all the names in the New Testament pointed to one, and all of the prophecies. We've mentioned this in the past it was given to me just after I was saved about the, that thumbnail sketch about the scriptures. Old Testament, someone's coming. They all pointed to someone coming. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, pointed to someone is here. They pointed to Christ. And from Acts to the book of Revelation, someone's coming back. And the same someone is being pointed at all the time. As we are in his word and we are shown more and more of his names, we come to the conclusion that they're all pointing to the same one and reflect some great, glorious message about him. Now, for a few years I taught school, and I always had trouble with names. Particularly when I was subbing. I'll never forget going into a classroom... And on the roll sheet was this name. It was spelled A-B-C-D-E. That was the first name. A-B-C-D-E. And this little girl raised her hand. She says, that's me. My name is Absidy. I says, thank you for helping me out. Well, can you imagine going into a large classroom of students, and you start calling the names on the roll sheet. And as you call for attendance, the every name you call, only one person in that classroom answers here to every name. And now I just said that to say this. All of the names of God in the Old and New Testament point to one, the Lord Jesus, His name is one. We go through a list of names, and there's lists you can find. You can go through the Bible and write them down. It'll be a glorious study. Books have been written, written about the names of God. There are tremendous uh, investigations about the name, but His he is one Lord, and His name is one. He has one objective, the salvation of His people. He has one objective, the glory of the church, the glory of God. Now, we find in the beginning there was an Adam, but the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to, to share with us that there is a last Adam. There's the second Adam. What a name is given. This is a, the A name. One name about him. He is the last Adam. And that's found. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If we were going to have a list of the names of our Savior. His name is one. All of these names are pointing to the same one. When we call out 
Adam, second Adam, or last Adam, or advocate, or almighty, we're finding out there's only one person that can answer to all those names. We have to keep our hands down, because we're not those things. Now, there are a few verses of scripture that share with us some names, and and there were some individuals that picked up that name, but the truth about it was him who lives on high, the Lord Jesus. Here in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 15, we have this First uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, and there in verse forty-five. First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, verse forty-five. So, and so it is written. We go back to the Old Testament. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was a quickening spirit. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord of heaven. The last Adam, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we could go down through a long list of names from that are given throughout the scriptures. I'm just going to pick out a few of them in our travels. But he has so many that are given in scripture. He is the advocate. He's the almighty. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He is the apostle of our profession. These are his names and titles that tell us about one being, one person, the Son of God. He's the arm of the Lord. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah 51? Isaiah 51. It shares with us this uh, previous name that I just used, the arm of the Lord. And it, and it just sets here in such a statement. Isaiah has a number of wonderful titles and names for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 9, we have this one given here. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. What a statement about his power. We read a few verses from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament about him being king. He has all power, all authority in heaven and in earth. And this, this old arm of the Lord, he is the mighty power of the Godhead. Awake, as in the ancient times, in the generations of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? The names continue on. He's the author of eternal salvation. He is the beginning of the creation. That, that word beginning there is, is a misnomer. Many people pick up on that. Religions have picked up on that. And so see, he's the very beginning of God's creation. No, he's the architect. That's what that word comes from, beginning. He's the architect of the creation of God. He's the designer. He's put the nucleus in the atom, and he's created the largest star in heaven. By him, by his word of his mouth, were the worlds created. We have great statements about him. He is the he is the beloved son. He's the blessed and only potentate. Uh, I have a good friend that's in a club, and they have a potentate. And I says, oh my goodness, if they only knew what they're saying there. There's only one blessed and holy potentate, and that's the Lord of glory. He's called the branch. He's called, he called himself the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the captain of our salvation. I'm the chief shepherd. I am the Christ of God. 
I am the Messiah sent by Almighty God, by the Godhead, to come to this earth and take the place of all his people. He's called the Consolation of Israel. He's the cornerstone and he's the counselor. Turn with me, if you would, in Isaiah again. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5. His name shall be one. Every name that we read in scriptures about the God of heaven is pointing to this one. Pointing to the Lord Jesus. Is not this the Savior? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a statement. It was revealed to him. The Lord said, in fact, Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And that same truth is revealed to every believer, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is alive. He is the Son. He is the Savior. And here in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, we read these words, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5. It says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. What do we have here? The glory of the Lord. It's brought out in the New Testament too, that in Him is the the Godhead bodily. Here is God bodily. He is the God-man. He is the Emmanuel. He's the Good Shepherd. He's the Great High Priest. He's the head of the church. He is the holy child. He's the holy one. He's the holy one of God. Name after name after name only points out one. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the only one. He is Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. The one that was promised in the Garden of Eden. He's Jehovah. You know, every time we find in the Old Testament, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Jehovah. That's how the translators let us know that this is the name of God, Jehovah. Well, here in the book of, if you would look with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. We have this name mentioned here. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 4. His name shall be one. There's one Lord and his name shall be one. In uh, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 4, the, the author, the Holy Spirit, gave the secretary, the prophet Isaiah, these words, Trust ye in the Lord, that is Jehovah, forever, for in the Jehovah, Jehovah is everlasting strength. This is one of the few times that that word is actually transliterated into our language. But trust ye in Jehovah forever, for in Jehovah, Jehovah is everlasting strength. What a wonderful name. Points to his eternality, his omnipotence, his greatness, his power. He is able to save and quick to save. He is able to keep that which he has saved. All of this shares with us such wonderful, wonderful truths about our Savior. He is the just one. He's called that in the New Testament. Turn with me to the book of Acts, if you would. The book of Acts. He is the only just one that ever walked on the face of the earth. We come 
we need to be justified. We need to be just, but we're not by nature. We have uh, great discrepancies. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the heart, our very makeup, our internal thoughts and processes, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need someone who doesn't have that problem. The just one. Here in the book of, of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Let's read here. in Acts chapter 5 and there in verse 52. Acts chapter 5. Hmm. Verse 7? Chapter 7. Chapter 7, excuse me. Chapter 7 and verse 52. Acts chapter 7. Verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. The just one. The only just one that ever walked on the face of the earth. Now there was a time that Adam did not have that fallen nature. He chose that fallen nature. He chose to go against God. He's the only man that has ever walked this earth that had a completely free will. We have none of that. We can't make that choice. We've already, it's been made for us. We are already sinners by nature, by choice. But this just one, he is the righteous one. His, he is the Lord, our righteousness. What a... What a wonderful thing to find in the scriptures that the king that we have is the just one. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. There in the book of Zechariah, we read that passage that's found over in the, in the New Testament in the book of Luke too. about your king shall come riding upon a donkey. Your king. What a statement is made here for the church. Your king is coming. He's the king of king eternal. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of saints. He's the lawgiver. He's the lamb. And on and on the names go from beginning to end. Completely from Bible chapter after chapter after chapter. We have these names given. He's called the seed of the woman. I never find record in the scriptures where he called his mother mother. He called her woman. And takes us right back to the book of Genesis there in chapter 3 and verse 15, the seed of the woman, he called us, we have record that I know of, at the turning of the water to wine, woman, what do I have to do with thee? And at the cross, he told his disciple that, woman, this is your son, told his disciple, uh, this is your mother. So he called her that. He's the son of David, he's the son of the blessed, He's the son of the highest. He's the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. He's the true light. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true witness. He's the word. He is a logos, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He is the word of God. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. 
Once again, as we go to this concluding book of the New Testament in the book of Revelation chapter 19. The book of Revelation chapter 19. And we read here in verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. How pictorial, how figurative we have this. He shed his blood for his family. He shed his blood for his children. He shed his blood for the elect. He shed his blood for all his lost sheep. He said he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He is one Lord, and he ha- his name is one. The Scriptures testify of me. That's what the Lord Jesus said. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And Moses God said this through the the Lord Jesus. God said this. The Holy Spirit said, If you would believe Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote of me. What a word. His name shall be one. All 66 books are surrounding this one in the center. And they all point to this one. His name is one. He is the Lord. There's one Lord. His name is one. And all of these 66 books are all pointing to the center where he is in the preeminence. He has the preeminent. He has the preeminent name. You know, I've known a number of students that had the name J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. Well, this one, this Jesus shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He has the preeminence. He is God, come in the flesh, to save his people, to save his people from their sin. This is this one that Zechariah wrote about so long ago. There in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, he said, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. We'll not quibble over that. He's the king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Now we found so often that that word in that that day, that's the gospel day. The day that the Lord revealed Christ to us. It's the gospel day when we saw Christ. When we we bowed before him. We didn't raise our fists and say we'll not have this one reign over us. We bowed before him. Lord, we said. Our hearts were so in tune with him. And as he continues that, so this one, behold, the Lamb of God, his name, one. His name, one. What a statement Zechariah brought out. Now, Lord willing, let's go back there to the book of Zechariah for just a moment, and then we'll close our study tonight, the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. And there in verse 9 it says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. No, not is one, his name one. All pointed to that. Well, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 10 and 11. Next week, all the land shall be turned as the plain. We're going to see that God makes things level. Verse 11, the men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall 
be safely inhabited. What a blessing to be in the new Jerusalem. All right, we're going to stop there for tonight.